0: On this episode, Yosemite, Yosemite, and um, there was one more thing. Yes, Yosemite. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Host, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. So, well, we're coming to the—you know—we're at the end of August. So, what has everyone been up to the last couple months? We haven't—we uh, haven't really caught up with each other, even in real life, about our adventures. And I know you've had a couple I've seen on Instagram. Savaria, what do you tell us about your Sierra trip and anything else you've been up to?
1: Yeah, so my big, just epic summer adventure, which was amazing, was we did the um, did a bit girls' trip. Um, a friend of mine organized it and invited me on it. It was amazing. Um, we did the South Lake to North Lake loop, um, and we did eight days. And so it was, you know, we had the first few days were uh, character building with the hail and the storms and the lightning and all the things. And then the last five days, I like to say the first three days were character building with moments of glory and. You know moments of gloriousness and like beauty and then the last five days were just amazing um and evolution basin was stunning which i'd never done before so um yeah so it was really really fun to get back in the back country and you know aside from having to carry eight days worth of food um which was no joke um it was just we had a super leisurely pace so we swam in the afternoons, and we swam at lunch, and it just was like a very relaxing, beautiful like way just to enjoy the Sierra. So that was, um, yeah, probably one of my favorite trips for sure in a long time. And then I've just been trying to uh, outrun the smoke in the West for the last few weeks, which has been a challenge. So little, little moments of fun uh, trying to avoid the smoke. Ended up at um, a place called Green River Lakes Campground, uh, which is in the north of the winds in Wyoming. And you, if you're willing to drive the longest 20 mile dirt road of your life, it's two wheel drive, but it is like an hour and a half of bumpiness. It was, um, you know, if you're willing to do that, it's definitely worth the destination. There's a lake, we can paddle, there's a bunch of hiking, Um, it was fantastic. Cool. So, yeah. Je-
0: Jeff, what have you been up to? Have you been training? Because you are signed up for the uh, for the big lonely here. It's coming
2: up quick. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I've been training my ass off. The uh, yeah. So we've done we've done a lot of. We started off the the summer with some camping trips. You know, we went to the Oregon coast and uh, we went to a little lake called uh, Little Cultus. And we, uh, Joan, was kayaking around the lake, and I was paddling on the p- stand paddleboard around the lake and um just having a good time you know just enjoying it that's before the smoke hit and you know the smoke's hit the air quality's been just dreadful and uh and so thankfully i've got i've got a peloton bike at home so i'm able to do the training for the big lonely and it's scaring the crap out of me frankly <laughs> yeah, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah. you know we're talking 300 and well it, d- it depends on what the final route look, turns out to be but it could be over 350 miles or maybe as few as like 336. But either way, it's a lot of miles. Yeah, and that. I've never done, you know, I'm firstly, I'm not racing at all. I just want to finish without breaking a bone or my bike. And um I've had a history of doing both of those things in the past. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, yeah, hopefully I think we've documented I think we documented that in the past. That. Yeah, I think we've documented yeah, some yeah. of that in the past. So like I I mentioned earlier, uh, well, I I had we talked about this offline but um i took a ride on saturday when we had some good air for the day and actually did like the first part of the uh the route from last year which it may be different this year but i got a little taste of it you know what it's going to be like and the climbing and so on so um and i did have a crash (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so you know i've got oh, a little ra- road bar, rash on that. the elbow oh, no. there or trail <laughs> yeah. rash oh yikes <laughs> uh, but nothing broke so it was all good you know <laughs> and uh and then you know jason i think you and i have an adventure coming up we do that we're looking forward to quite a bit so knock on wood so where you talk about that
0: yeah well we're signed up to do the uh teton crest trail and uh two weeks from when we're recording this is actually in fact it's exactly two weeks from when we're recording this uh, uh so hopefully uh severia was just there and gave us a, a less than than stellar report on the air quality so we're hoping that that improves yep. when we go but yeah that's been exciting and again i yeah i've had one day since uh, the Rainier trip uh, you know I did well, I had a couple days up in the Sierra we, I did uh, Langley with uh, with legend which was quite an experience um, it was supposed to be three days and this is a public service announcement they have changed the permitting system for the Sierra you used to be able to get walk-ups there are no more walkups so we went up and our plan was to get a walk-up we even went like two days but you know two days two nights before to get up early to go get a permit and they're not doing it so now what happens is is what would have been a walkup it's like Two weeks before your entry date at six AM, you have to go online and and whatever would have been a walk up is that. So we weren't able to get a walk up a walk up permit. So we ended up just staying alone, Pine extra. And rather than doing three days to climb Mount Langley, we did one day to climb Mount Langley. So that was a uh that was a long day, you know. Um Whoa. Yeah. yeah. But it was uh but it was cool. It was great. We did it, you know. We got up at, you know, two thirty in the morning, hit the trail at three and uh you know and and finish, finished it all in a day i think it was it was my longest day in i, I at least 10 years if not longer i think cuz it was i think it was almost 25 26 miles and yeah i don't think i've been over yeah, that's a tw- big day 20 and the closest would have been day 2 jeff um, yeah which which what well 3 weeks ago <laughs> jeff and Derek yeah. and i were on our texturing trying to figure out how long day 2 was um i think we landed on 18 like around 18 right 18 and a half so something like that yeah, yeah. so that was but that w- that probably would have been the longest day in the last 10 15 years other than this one but uh you know i was surprised yeah. at how crowded it was because i had done it in the late you know i think 98 or 99 and i saw like four people and i mean there were like 30 people at the summit when we got up there i mean it was crazy it was it was you know yeah I was all kinds of people on the trail which you know cottonwood lakes has always been kind of popular but i was i was pretty uh surprised at how many yep. people we saw and how many people were doing the day doing it in a day too so yeah but yep. yeah
1: well not anymore no nope. the, the forests yep. are closed
0: yeah and, yeah as of today jeff uh sent me the article actually that uh not for two yep. weeks well they're saying for two weeks as of now it's only two weeks but they're closing yep all the national yeah. forests uh here in california, in california. for everything it's a little
2: bit more so it's it yeah. starts tomorrow august well yeah it, it's yeah it's going to be about two a little over two weeks seven till the 17th of september and possibly wow. longer we'll see you know it depends on what happens but um the good thing to just be aware of is that you know if you want to get outside there's still national parks there's still state parks there's regional parks there's you know Take advantage of some of the local yeah. things that you've got and, um, and check online before you go just to make sure that everything's yeah. still open. Cause that's subject to change at any t- point in time Sure,
0: and safe. Cause obviously if it's on fire, you, you, you don't want to, you don't want to be there. Yeah. 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 Well, and sadly right now, like they've just evacuated South Lake Tahoe today. I don't know if you saw that, yeah. which is hard to believe, you know? So I think, you know, know a couple people there. Um, so that's, you know, they've been evacuated, so it's kind of scary. Um, yeah. You know, and actually, my best friend from childhood's house burned down. Um, is it the Dixie Fire, the one in Northern California? So that you know, yeah. So it's pretty bad out there. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. sad. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and every year it's like this. You know, every year more and more. I, you, you think, gosh, how much more can there be to burn? And apparently, every year there's the answer is a lot. So you know, very sad. So stay safe, everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. stay. Yeah, especially as the summer's closing out. Definitely stay safe. Yeah, make good choices.
2: Yeah, don't yeah. have that <laughs> campfire. Yeah, you know
0: our guest tonight is uh, you might remember we we had him on about a, around a year ago, Scott Turner, and he teased a guidebook on Yosemite, but we actually talked to him last week. That book is now coming out, so uh, we'll kick that off. Here's our, our session with uh, Scott Turner.
2: Hey, welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast, and today's show we are yeah, we have we I think our first time repeat visitor, Our repeat guest, uh, Scott Turner. Uh, hiker and author hiking guidebook author extraordinaire and he's got a a new book out of coming out about yosemite which we're excited to talk about we you teased us about this when we had you on back i don't know a year ago and uh it seems like uh you couldn't tell us because it was some top secret project and you know, we didn't want anyone, nobody wanted anyone to know that there was a book being written about Yosemite for some reason. I know, I know. Yeah, we
3: were, we were just laughing about that. Like, I'm just giving away some big secret. But yeah, the um, first, first let me say, like, thank you so much for having me back on. I really enjoyed the conversation we had the last time, and I'm really glad we get a chance to do it again.
0: Um, you know, I didn't know that
3: you you haven't had a repeat
2: visitor yet. So that's a that's a real honor.
3: Well,
0: it, it all depends on whether or not you count Derek. Because
2: yeah, we yeah, yeah, Derek's Derek been on count? a couple times, but but uh, yeah, but you know, sort of like as an adjunct, you yes. know, guest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're our first
0: second featured episode. Like this is a featured episode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Derek had I, a featured episode, and then it's like popped up like. Two or three times.
2: Yeah, he, you know. he gets the best supporting
3: actor nomination. He,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. We don't even invite him, he just shows up. It's like oh, <laughs> so. if, as long as he brings burgers,
3: that's okay. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Bring burgers next time. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is kind of exciting because again, you teased us last time, but you know, you had like an embargo and you weren't weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, so yeah, tell us about the book.
3: <laughs> this book is called Day Hiking Yosemite National Park. And I wrote it um, with uh, Mountaineer's Books, who um, they actually published three of the other books that I I recently wrote and we talked about the last time. So those other three were called Hike the Parks and they covered Joshua Tree, Zion Bryce Canyon, um, and Sequoia and Kings Canyon. So it is a full color hiking guide. And it's uh, I know I'm showing it to you guys through Zoom and you can't really see it on the audio feed, but it's a, it's a pocket-sized book, so it's very portable and easy to carry around. It's got about 130 to 140 pictures, all full color, and it covers 90 nice. different day hikes throughout Yosemite National Park and some hikes on the margins on both the west side and the east side. And then... Um, Well, was a kind of a challenging element of doing the actual project was that I was doing the last half of it during COVID. So I I didn't get a chance to conclude everything, but I've also got detail. I've got some details and information on a number of backpacking routes in Yosemite in there, and I've covered some uh, just some provided some basic information on other routes that I meant to hike, but because of COVID and wildfires couldn't get to. So it's it's um, very dense with information. And, um, you know, it's, it was one of those things I had already covered so many really wonderful places, including San Diego County, including places in the Sierra and Utah. And um, if somebody offers you a contract to write about the crown jewel of the American National Park Service, you say yes.
2: <laughs> well, I think Yosemite has a, you know, a, a special place in all of our hearts. Uh, I know for me, I can re- I still remember the first time I visited Yosemite as a teenager and we drove through the tunnel uh, to the valley view, you know, that tunnel view, we stopped there and it just took my breath away. And it still does when I go through there, you know, and, and pull over. It's a touristy thing to do and take that same shot that everybody's taken a million times, probably in the last month, even, you know. but. It's just stunning. And it's always a little bit different depending on the time of year and the weather and everything where you are in life. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's
3: yeah, a I'm real Hollywood
2: of, moment you're talking about yeah. coming out of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm kind of a cynic about those things. I'm like, no, well, like it's, that's where all the tourists go. And the first time I went, I started crying. Like it's literally because it's, it's everything you think it's going to be and more. It's so it was it was I was very taken aback by how emotional I was by the view that everybody's seen. You've seen a million pictures. It's in every postcard and every guidebook. And it's still just as stunning.
0: And even if you look at our website, almost podcastcom mm-hmm. the main featured photo is one that I took of Tunnel View, um, you know, and the storm. So that was, <laughs> you know, after a snowstorm. Um
3: Oh, and, no, nice. So you were there right after it snowed and right so, after yeah, it cleared out? Yeah,
0: that was my I, – I might have told this before, so I apologize if this is a repeat. But that was my third attempt to get a shot like that there. Like I went for, – I'd go there, be lot – you know, snowed into the hotel, whatever, either a freezing cold tent in Curry Village or, you know, in like one of the hotels. And, you know, hoping to get a shot like that. But there was like zero visibility uh, one time, you know, um, zero visibility in the other time it was, it didn't, it didn't really snow enough. So it kind of snowed overnight, but by the time that it got light, you know, it was kind of mushy and wasn't like that. So that was my third attempt to get that, to get that shot.
1: so Scott, how did you choose the hikes for the book?
3: So I did a number of things. This is typically what I do is I'll, I'll take a look at some of the existing literature. And I'll, you know, like, I mean, in Yosemite, there's certain ones that kind of choose themselves. I mean, I'm not going to write a book about Yosemite and not put Half Dome in there. So some of them kind of choose themselves. But then I, I look at what's already out there and I take a look at how they portray it and how they route it. And I think, you know, well, do I like it that way? Do I want to do it my own way? And so some of it I make adjustments based on what seems to make the most sense from a, like an enjoyment standpoint, from a difficulty standpoint. I spend a lot of time with the maps. So I, I got all the Nat Geo maps. There's one that covers the entire park and then they divide it into quadrants, um, northeast, northwest, et cetera, et cetera. And so I would basically spend hours just staring at the map, you know, imagining where does this place go? Where does this place go? Can you make an interesting route to Eagle Peak by going this way versus this way? And um, you know, I I came up with a list of about one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and thirty different possible iterations. And, you know, as I went along, I would hike something and be like, well, that sucked. Or I would hike something and be like, well, that was way better than I thought it was going to be. And so sometimes like trying a lot of stuff that isn't normally portrayed in different books gives you an opportunity to see a new angle to
2: it. So do you have a section in the book for trails that suck? Is that... The,
3: uh... <laughs> um, well, they probably didn't make it into the book if they really sucked all that much. Um... Oh, good to know. Good to
2: know.
3: <laughs> well, it's... it's um, you know, it's... That's one of the interesting things about this particular book. This is the first one that I've ever done like this where they actually ask for a subjective rating. And I have studiously avoided subjective ratings for a long time when describing trails because... <clears throat> My, my personal preferences are not the same as other people's personal preferences. And so therefore, how am I to objectively be subjective? Um, but there are there are, certain, there are certain qualities that, you know, like some, some things are just like, yeah, that's not going into the book. Because it was just, I, if I didn't enjoy it, other people probably aren't either. Um, so there are some trails in there, though, that have a lot of challenges to them. But because there was something that I found worthwhile about the hike, I was like, okay, I can put this in there, even though this was kind of a pain in the ass in some places, but the reward was worth
0: it. So just out of curiosity, you know, and, and you know, this no one will hear this, but I just want to, did you sandbag any of those, those subjective ratings just to keep a place <laughs> hidden? Go like, you know, don't go here, whatever you do.
3: <clears throat> so I, I my way around being too opinionated in it was to quantify the subjective ratings by different qualities than whether it's good or bad. So for example, a five-star hike is a hike that's world famous. And so saying a five-star hike, a lot of people are automatically going to like Half Dome, for example, a lot of people are going to assume that is the best possible hike you can take in Yosemite. Now, let me make the admission. I did not enjoy a Half Dome at all. I We'll never do it again. <laughs> not my jam. So five star hike that's probably one of my least favorite hiking experiences in the book. So, you know, that that's like a good and like a good indication, which means that like it's five stars because it's world famous, and that means you're gonna expect crowds, you're gonna expect certain challenges that aren't gonna be there on a one star hike. One star hike is something that you may not have ever heard of. Um, like for example, the Smith Meadow Trail. <laughs> nobody really knows about that trail you know but i tried it and there was solitude and there were certain rewards that were there that you know it wasn't half dome but it was still worthwhile in its own way but the one star basically i gave it one star and the reason why i gave it one star is because it's lesser known there are certain challenges with the trail it's in the rimfire burn zone and the rewards are not obvious to most people and therefore it's going to be much more solitude so I, I, I explain all of that in the book. So what that's you cool. can use those subge- subjective ratings for is to figure out well, I really don't want to spend an afternoon with five hundred of my best friends on top of well no
0: they only limit it to like three hundred but so three hundred of my best yeah there's a permit, best, system. Yeah, there's right, a permit system to day hike that's one one of two that I know of in all this uh, of almost anywhere that's that's permanent right like right right Whitney actually the half are the two that you need. They're going to do it with uh, Angel's totally. Landing,
3: apparently, soon now.
0: Oh, that's probably a good yeah. idea. Yeah, it is a really with good all idea. all that exposure.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a really yeah. good idea, but, um, but you know, with Half Dome, like, it's going to be an ordeal just to get the permit.
1: So Scott, you were saying how, you know, your, your reviews are subjective, because they specifically asked you to be subjective for the book, which is new, because you tried to be as subjective as possible. I'm super intrigued by your rating system. I think it's really great. So in your subjectivity, so if there's like a world-class hike like Half Dome, as you mentioned, that's world-class, but you didn't enjoy the experience, did you share, even though you rated it a five, did you share (laughs) your honest opinion about it?
3: No, because (laughs) my honest opinion about Half Dome is not I mean, I've, I've kind of learned the hard way from social media that it's not always best to share your honest opinion on things. But my honest opinion on Half Dome is not a very popular opinion. A lot of people really love that hike. And I, I honestly did not want to come across like I was saying, like, Half Dome's a waste of your time. Because, I mean, a lot of people really, really love that hike. Um i'm not one of them but that doesn't mean i should do anything to try to bias anybody's opinion that that's why i've always stayed away from the subjective ratings because i don't want to bias anybody's opinion about a specific hike just because i feel a way about it doesn't mean that i should like do anything to color anybody's experience so you know a lot of a a lot of times when i actually write it i'm trying to be as neutral and objective about it as possible now just let let me Let me just go on a little bit of a tangent here to hopefully explain a little bit about what I mean by the subjectivity. So the original way that I wrote this, and I took it out because I knew I was probably going to get in trouble with copyright issues, is I I compared the rating system to the way we look at Led Zeppelin songs. So if you look through the Led Zeppelin, I I know, if you look through the Led Zeppelin catalog, what's the the first song that comes to mind?
2: Stairway Stairway to Heaven. heaven. Right.
3: Right. So that's that's Half Dome
2: right yeah it's a great song
3: everybody knows stairway it's it's always number one when you look at the top 500 rock songs of all time but then you start going through the the catalog what's like a four star zeppelin song maybe it's like the rain black dog black dog um then you get to like a three star zeppelin song it's maybe it's one of the deeper cuts from like you know houses of the holy kind of
0: thing or yeah yeah or since i've
3: been loving you or something like that And then you get to cut number two and you're like, okay, like maybe that's like, uh, like, um, God, I'm, I'm blanking on my Led Zeppelin knowledge, but maybe that's like a, um, lemon song or, you know, like one of the songs that like you like it when it comes on, but you don't, you don't go straight to that when you're going into Spotify. And then you get to like the one star songs, which is a song like Carousel Lombra which is like this weird 10 minute epic that goes in a billion different directions. And, you know, Jimmy Page was pretty smacked out on heroin when they did the song. <laughs> so it's like all over the place, but it's still like, Hey, this is kind of interesting. I don't know where this is going, but it's still so like, I, I kind of conceptualized it like that. A Led Zeppelin song is a Led Zeppelin song and they're all good and they're all worthy for their own reasons, but you've got your stairway to heaven and you've got your carousel ombra So hopefully that kind of, by a long way around clarifies the way i looked at the subjective ratings
0: did, did you also rank by like say like difficulty because obviously i'm sure you have a whole range of like oh yeah this is two miles and easy and if you're not super fit yeah. and you don't want to do 14 hour day this is a good hike so did you how did you deal with that situation in your rankings Yeah. Yeah. I did
3: that as as best as I can. And, you know, objective ratings like that with difficulty can be a little tricky sometimes because it's all sort of calibrated around the mythical average hiker who, you know, hikes six miles at a thousand feet of gain and keeps a two mile per hour pace like that person exists. And so, you know, I use, I use that sort of as a starting point, but I also make the point in the book that a lot of people are on, it's like a bell curve where there's a lot of people that are in the middle of it that are average hikers that can have a pretty easy time with something like the Mist Trail or the Panorama Trail. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there, there, of course, there's a pretty wide spectrum of hikes in Yosemite. And, um, you know, I include a lot of easy stuff. I include a lot of really difficult stuff. And that that rating is sort of like a benchmark for people to get a sense of how hard a hike might be for them.
0: What is Is Half Dome the longest one you have in there as far as like what would be considered a day hike and not like an overnighter?
3: Um, Distance-wise, no. Um, I think the, the longest hike I put in there was the hike to Waterwheel Falls, mm. which is, I think it's about an 18-mile hike.
0: Yeah, well, that's, it's a back where it's a, uh, what do you call it, a... Uh backward i mean down and then back up too so yes yes uh, reverse reverse yeah locked. what goes yeah.
3: down must come back yeah. up again
0: it is neat though that is a neat uh a really neat feature you know oh that's the a water beautiful, wheel like, yeah 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 yeah
3: so we were, we were bummed because we didn't get to see it at peak water wheel time oh, yeah but it was it was still pretty impressive because that particular hike visits what like four named waterfalls and about like a, a billion smaller waterfalls yeah so oh it's yeah like, well,
0: it's you hike the whole hike is i mean you know you down that along the the water there you're going basically down the the, the root of the tuolumne river and it's what well, it's yeah. pretty steep it's a pretty steep down you go through glen allen which is a real pretty their high sierra camp there yeah, that's a real oh, pretty spot that is probably
3: the prettiest of the high sierra camps, oh yeah
0: yeah that yeah. vogel Sang is nice too i don't know if you've been to vogel that those would yep. be the two that i think are the prettiest uh um, yeah Having been to all of them, but uh, yeah, yeah.
3: So yeah, so vocal sang. That's a, that's a good example of one of the ways that I would approach hikes in Yosemite because there's there's a huge trail network there. A lot of things are interconnected, and there are a lot of options for extended travel. Now, this by, book in particular has an emphasis on day hiking, um, but you know, like ignoring the backpacking options in Yosemite would be really silly. So for something like Vogel sang, what I did was. I describe the route just to the camp. Then there's an additional section that describes side trips. So, for example, like going to a High Sierra camp, it's like okay, that's cool, but it's just a bunch of buildings in and an outhouse. Yeah. Now, from Vogel Sang, one of the things that makes it such a great destination is that you can go to the east and there's Evelyn Lake. Or you can go to the south and there's Vogel Sang Lake Pass, and Vogel Sang yeah. Peak. Yeah. You can go to the west, and that'll take you out to, um, eventually you'll get to Merced Lake if you go that way. And then, of course, you're coming in from the north. But um, So I try to describe all those additional places and provide all the additional information. And then I also included, if you wanted to make it into a 20-mile loop hike that goes around Evelyn Lake, Ireland Lake, and then back down through Lyle Canyon, that information's all also there. So I was able to take the day hike in concept, but also include a lot of really good backpacking options, too.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the like areas of Yosemite? Because we just talked about Vogel saying, which, you know, generally you're going to go out of Ptolemy Meadows. What are some of like the lesser known places where you can start a hike in Yosemite? Like in the north, like out of Sonora Pass? Did you do anything kind of starting up around the Sonora Pass area or anything like out of like like Uh, over wilderness area? Any of those kind of?
3: I really wanted to do that, um, but it, it became one of these challenges where, you know, there's there's a good 75 obvious hikes in Yosemite that are all from well-established trailheads that are road-adjacent within yeah. the park. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I do a hiking guide, like, my eyes are almost always bigger than my stomach in terms of, you know, what I want to see. Sometimes, honestly, when I take these things on, it's an excuse to go see as much as possible. And so I originally had plotted a bunch of stuff from Sonora Pass, um, like um, Leavitt Peak and stuff on the PCT and then stuff from Twin Lakes, stuff from uh, Buckeye Canyon, things like that. But, you know, as we were going through the process and I was sharing my notes, it was like, well, I think we probably need to pare this back a little bit. So I do put reference to some of those areas. Um, especially for extended travel. The furthest north I got was to the Virginia lakes. And I did put reference into how to get into Yosemite from the Virginia lakes trailhead, and then how to get into green lakes from there. Um, But as far as within the park places that you can start that aren't nearly as well known, um, definitely Hetch Hetchy. And for, for those of you who don't know about Hetch Hetchy um, it's a valley to the north of Yosemite that has certain qualities that are similar It's the uh, main stem Tuolumne, Tuolumne, I tried to say river and meadow at the same time. It's the main stem Tuolumne River, which flows through that canyon and then um, used to be free flowing until the early 20th century when they dammed the valley and that flooded the valley, creating the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, which is now one of the principal water supply sources for San Francisco. Very controversial. A lot of people have a lot of really strong feelings about it. Um, but the great thing about Hetch Hetchy is that there's a whole series of backcountry portals up there that can get you into the more remote areas of the northern and northwest corners of Yosemite. And I do describe some of the routes there and how to get there and how to get further back. Um, so that's, that's a good one because it's not nearly as popular. Um, it's not nearly as congested as, say, you know, trailheads leaving from Tuolumne Meadows or trailheads leaving from the valley itself um i do like some of the the trailheads that come into the park from um outside of yosemite um so like for example um the bloody canyon trailhead which i didn't get a chance to fully scout but it is an option that i do describe that goes up from the inyo national forest side up into mono pass and the mono pass area is south of tioga pass and it's it's got a lot of wide open meadows and forests and lakes and things like that. That's a lot of easy cross country travel, which I I really enjoy doing too.
2: Yeah, talking about some of the backcountry areas, there's so much of Yosemite that I personally haven't explored, but I think that's true for a lot of us. So, you know, there's it's just a huge, huge park, and so many people are focused on either the valley or Tuolumne Meadows or you know that, those areas that are like get a lot of the traffic. I don't know what the percentage is but i would imagine it's a big chunk of it um a few years back i was backpacking a route called the theodore solomon's trail which starts at glacier point and exits over fernandez pass and we went to the ranger station at wawona and you know we were picking up our permit and they were like oh so where are you exiting oh fernandez pass and they were like where is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's big. Even, you know, don't feel bad if you don't know all the parts of the park yet. Even the rangers sometimes don't know <laughs> some of those obscure spots.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've gone to the wilderness office a couple of times and asked for permits and they're like, "Where?" Like, I think I did a trip to Royal Arch Lake years ago. They didn't even know where it was. And, and yeah. They're like, where, what? I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to be really nice. I was kind of shocked. They didn't even, in the wilderness office, they didn't know where it was. And then showed it to them on the map. They're like, oh, okay. But, you know, I'm like, right. not that hard to believe someone would want to go there.
1: <laughs> so Scott, um, for, you know, we know you, you've written guidebooks, but for people who may have not heard our first podcast with you. Um, so a little bit like what makes you qualified to write a guidebook on Yosemite and everyone's like, wait, how do I get to write a guidebook on Yosemite? (laughs) So, uh, I would say what, what makes you qualified and, you know, did you have a previous relationship with Mountaineers and tell us a little bit about sort of what led you to getting what I would probably say most people would think would be a dream job.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I've written four books before I got to this point. And then of course I had also spent a long time writing for Modern Hiker. So I've, I've contributed quite a lot to Modern Hiker, about 300 different trail descriptions. Um, I revised and updated, we talked about this last time, but I'll review it. I revised and updated, uh, a foot in a field, San Diego County, which was, uh, for those who aren't familiar with that one, it's a Regional comprehensive hiking guide that covers the entirety of San Diego County It had been around for a good 30 years and it was the previous author had passed away and I took it over and assumed stewardship of it and then from that point on um, what had happened was They were looking for authors to start writing for a new series that they had called hike the parks which are smaller pocket-sized guides covering some of the different national parks They've got Redwood, they've got the three I did, which I've already mentioned, um, Joshua Tree, Zion, Sequoia, Kings Canyon. They also have one for Acadia National Park, and now they've got one coming out for Rocky Mountain. So they're these pocket-sized guides. And they, um, r- I originally had pitched them on a full-size guide for Sequoia and Kings Canyon, so they already knew of me and uh, my friends that also write for Modern Hiker, Casey Schreiner and, Sant- and Shantae Saliver they had written previous books for mountaineers and shantae had actually recommended me for the hike the park series so i wrote those three books for them and they they were happy with what i did and um the acquisitions editor a very nice lady named kate um she floated the idea of me doing yosemite which like i have to say it was like it it was kind of funny because i i grew up going to sequoia and i had been spending all my time in sequoia so i had kind of developed this like weird attitude which is like yeah everyone likes yosemite but sequoia is really where it's at and i I mean i remember that got cemented because in 2011 i went to i went to yosemite probably right around the time that jason was starting his john muir trail hike and it was the year where all the waterfalls were crazy and i got to glacier point after spending three days in yosemite or sequoia where there was nobody around and i got to yosemite and it's just like a zoo like what have i done you know like i got there and from that point on like i had like a block against yosemite and you know like kate had sort of you know made the case like this is you know, this is a good thing to do, you know, write, write about Yosemite and my wife had also supported it. And, you know, because I had put to, to properly answer your question, because I had put so much time into writing these other books and I'd sort of proven that I could do something like this. um, They seemed to have enough confidence in me to hand this one over to me. And, um, yeah, I mean, to, to get into doing it, I mean, I don't know that's like a separate question I could really go on a tangent on how you actually get into writing hiking guides but
0: like obviously you spent a lot of time up there like where what were your favorite what are your favorite places to stay where do you stay when you're actually doing all these day hikes cuz you're not camping obviously or you're not backpacking so you got to you know have a bed no, somewhere I, I actually
3: did do a lot of backpacking Oh cool um so like there there was a couple different things uh, so this is <laughs> this was um an interesting experience because i I went up there 15 times to do this book and only once did i actually stay in the valley um and if anyone's ever tried to get a campground or a campsite in yosemite valley especially during the peak season you know like why that is it can get really really competitive i mean it gets pretty game of thrones sometimes trying to get a campsite there but um if i was coming into the east side there's a series of National Forest campsites along Tioga Road. And two of my favorite were, uh, were Lee, Vining Camp, Lee Vining Canyon Campground, which is just west from the town of Lee Vining. So it's really close to the um, Wonelli Deli, which has fabulous food. It sure so does. That so was, that was a really great place to stay because not only was I close enough to reception that I could call my wife and son in the evenings after I was done, But the pizza and the coffee and some of the entrees at the Wellnelli Deli were pretty fantastic.
0: Fish tacos, just just yeah, yeah.
3: I got hung up on the pizza, so I never really made it to the fish tacos. But um, maybe when I do the revisions on the next edition, (laughs) maybe. Well, well, no one,
0: no one believes it because it's a gas station you know right. on the eastern sierra you know way away from the ocean but the fish tacos are actually quite good
3: i i have no trouble believing that yeah. because i i mean i saw some of the fish tacos and i like there were a couple times where i was like why am i getting the pizza again but the, the pizza is really good too so so like i would stay there and there's another campground that's up the canyon from that spot which is called ellery lake campground and it's Ellery Lake's near two other different campgrounds. There's Tioga Lake Campground and there's Junction Campground. And for some reason, I always have a really good lake at Ellery Lake because it's a walk-in campsite. There's no reservations there. And if you time it right, you get there really, really early. You can usually get some kind of campsite. And it's a very quiet place, even though it's right off of Tioga Road. Um, if I was going on to the west side, if it was wintertime, I would stay at the Cedar Lodge because the rates are usually pretty cheap in the winter. And it's really cold, but when COVID hit, what I learned was that you can stay at one of the backcountry campsites the night before and the night after your backpacking trip. So the strategy I adopted once COVID hit, because they were limiting who could get in there, was I picked a, I got a random trailhead permit for something that I knew I needed to hike, but I knew it wasn't gonna be very popular. And so I set that for Saturday and then I got there Friday, stayed at the backpacker campground, did the overnight hike on Saturday, stayed at the backpacker campground again on Sunday. And it gave me two nights at um, like a nearby backpacker campground, which they have three of them, one in Tuolumne, one at Yosemite Valley, one at Hetch Hetchy. And that was kind of my work around trying to get, you know, one of the hotly contested you know, car camping sites. Brilliant. <laughs> I feel like I just let out of like a really big secret. Yeah, I might cut that. I, I, I might cut
0: that. Yeah, that's totally. an old trick, by the way. That's, Every, that's everyone's a, scribbling yeah. down furiously. Yeah. That, that's an OG yeah. trick. Trust me, I yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to uh, well, admit I mean, to having we, done we, that in the past. But let's let's just you know, I'll leave it open that maybe I've done that in the past. <laughs> well, that
3: it was i don't know if you want to keep this i don't know if you want to keep this in but i just want to share that was actually one of the most wonderful experiences of the whole trip was i went there like two days after the park reopened following the COVID closures and so they were restricting who could get in there i was one of the first people into the actual valley and so i had a overnight permit for what was it the smith meadow trail and i mean i did camp on the smith meadow trail but there's like not a lot there and so I got there Friday night, stayed at Upper Pines, and I walked into Upper Pines, picked the campsite I wanted from the 500 campsites that were yeah. available, and then I thunderstorm hit, and then I go to Cooks and Sentinel, Sentinel Meadow, and I walk around up to Yosemite Lower Yosemite Falls, and then walk like four miles through that whole area, not a soul, on the Wonderful. summer solstice. So that was that
2: was a pretty cool experience. <laughs> Never see that yeah. again. Yeah, that'll never happen again. Well, no. hopefully.
0: <laughs> so, so obviously, there's some very famous hikes. You know, we 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 sort of have talked about Half Dome, but let's just say the shorter version of that, just going up to Nevada Falls, Yosemite Falls. You know, yes. of the sort of very famous, iconic hikes in Yosemite. Which of which is your favorite? Which one do you think is the best?
3: Ooh, I'd have to say Yosemite Falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. For, I mean, it is, it is super famous, but I'll just assume that there are some people who don't know about it, but, um, Yosemite Falls being like a half mile tall waterfall and you basically hike from the valley floor up to the top of Yosemite Falls and they've got this neat little, uh, if you're not, if you're afraid of heights, it's probably not so neat, but they got this neat little thing. You can sort of scramble down a little bit to the lip of the fall and look straight down the length of the waterfalls to the valley below. Um. That combined with the optional hike up to Eagle, no, not, well, Eagle Peak, yes, but that's much harder. Um, but up to Yosemite Point, which is to the east of the falls, I'd say of the really famous, you know, four to five star hikes, I'd say that was probably my favorite. The thing is, is that all of them are great they're all they were all amazing i mean i I didn't like half dome just because it was slippery and i don't really love heights too much and it just was a lot of people and it was kind of a bad vibe that day but the um like the mist trail was amazing the yosemite falls hike was amazing taft point was amazing and i think a lot of what really helped the experience for me is that i was able to choose times and choose um, different periods when there weren't going to be that many people around. Um, not to say that sharing the trail with people is a problem, but I, I would get on the trail early enough in the morning to be able to see those hikes in a relatively un, like a relatively pure form. because I, I would do that just to try to get a sense of it for the book so I could concentrate and really enjoy the experience. but also just because I'm an early bird too. And so getting a chance to see it without so many people around really did a, did me favors in terms of being able to see what made them so great.
1: So you had mentioned that you did 15 trips? Yeah. Right, to write the book. So 15 trips, but how many sort of days does that equate to and like time do you think you spent?
3: Um, so I was doing this all while working full-time, and I've got a family. No big so deal yeah no, it's so like I, I would only really be able to do three days at a time for the most part so the way it would typically go like the typical trip up would be i wake up at three o'clock in the morning to make sure i can get through los angeles in time before you know los angeles wakes up um then i would get to the park around 10 or 11 i'd start hiking and then the next day i would hike all day long and then sunday i would hike half the day and drive home so there were, about 10 of the 15 trips were like that. There was one trip in particular with, where I went with a, a friend of mine named Don, and we spent a full week there just hiking as much as we could possibly stomach. And, and don is, um, Don's is don been around hiking Yosemite for a really long time, and he sort of turned me on to the pleasures of cross-country hiking in the backcountry there. And so that was a that was the longest trip, and I had another trip that was about, the last trip I did was a four day trip where I covered about 75 miles worth of hiking during those four days. So it was, it was a lot. It was very hectic.
0: And, um, did you like, are you like taking notes? Are you writing? I mean, how do you, I mean, obviously, cause you, there's a tenant, you'd probably be pretty hangry if you're doing 75 <laughs> miles in four days and you know, you're not going to necessarily remember everything in that state. I mean, are you yeah. taking a lot of notes? Are you writing it down? Like what is your process for like documenting a hike?
3: Yeah. I, um, I don't take notes um, which is sometimes I feel like, should I even admit that? But I don't. Um, so the, one of the things that I do is I record a GPS track and, uh, for, for those of your listeners who don't know about this, um, I'm assuming a lot of them do, but if you don't, there's a website called caltopo.com and what caltopo.com basically is, is they've scanned um, basically every USGS topo map, they're all older topos, but they're still good. All the USGS topo maps and superimposed it over all the GPS coordinates. So what you see on CalTopo is the topo map synced up to its appropriate GPS coordinates. So if you open it up, you can, you can pull up all this information and you can study the topo, you can print out customized topos. They have another feature that is the GPS track overlay. So what I would do is I would turn the GPS track overlay, which is crowdsourced GPS tracks covering I'd say like 80 to 85% of all the trails in most of the popular places. And then I would upload my own trail, uh, my own trail recording. Okay. And I would use the information that it provides because it'll give you mileage, it'll give you elevation, it will give you all these other pieces of information that you could use and i would extrapolate all the needed data like all the point-to-point data like it is it is half a mile to the junction and then you turn right and go for another seven tenths of a mile type stuff Um, so because i would take the recording i could then plug that in and get all that necessary data later i would also take a lot of pictures so A lot of the pictures were just documentary type of pictures, like here's a trail sign that says this is the name of this trail and this is where this goes and stuff like that. But then there were a lot of pictures that I was taking for aesthetic purposes because, you know, Yosemite is an extremely photogenic place and I was trying to get as many good quality pictures for the book as I could. So it served both as like this is the fuel for the actual book and this is documentary information that I can refer back to later. Um, like what, what kind of trees were on the Pahono trail, for example, um, you know, like what trail junction is at the the junction to empire meadows or whatever place I was exploring. So all of that sort of freed me up to just experience the hike. Like I was any other person, like I didn't, wasn't there for an agenda and, you know, like on a, on a day where I, on a trip where I was doing like 75 miles, that was a little bit extreme, but it was like, this is my last one and I've got to get it all done, type of thing. But you know, I would I would try to just enjoy the experience as much as possible because that's where a lot of the the value of writing a book like this comes from. And um, Jeff, you probably know this because you've written a lot of really great trail descriptions. When if you were to just you know you could just put like it's half a mile to this junction, it's quarter mile to this junction, turn left here, turn right here. It's this is the these are the bare bones. You could do that in like a hundred words. But that's not what makes a trail description useful. You want to know about the flora, you want to know about the fauna, you want to know about the history, you want to know about different conditions on the trail. And hopefully there's some color in it. Um, one of the things I like write, for writing about writing um, for mountaineers is they don't really mind if I have some fun with it. Um, so I try to keep it light. I try to inject humor wherever possible. And I, I do put a f- few
0: good jokes into the book,
3: so... So, like, being able to just kind of focus on the experience of it, I can bring the experience of it into the description.
0: What were the most surprising things that you saw while hiking? Were there just places or things or things that happened or, you know, that were unexpected?
3: I think the thing that was so unexpected was just how much i would come to appreciate yosemite and just how much my appreciation was built off of things that weren't necessarily what made it famous so you know like we talked about tunnel view we talk about like there's all these famous places that everybody goes like half dome tunnel view mirror lake i mean all those places are great but you know one of the one of the memories that really stuck with me the most was was the second to last trip um, that night I talked, there was like a thunderstorm the day before, like a really intense thunderstorm, and it was cooler than normal for a June day. And I was hiking on the Pajono Trail, and I was about like, I don't know, like 13 or 14 miles into my day. And it was evening, the sun was starting to sink low, and I was just kind of plugging along, keeping a good steady pace, and everything was just like, this has been like this forever. It's been like this for like thousands and thousands of years there's all these elements about this place that just have not changed and it wasn't there wasn't a great view there there wasn't a great you know like a this wasn't a place that i would say stop here and go check this out it was just like a just a generic part of the trail um but there is a sense of timelessness that sort of came over me in that moment that like it was like really i was really transported out of the all the shit that i'm sorry i don't know if you can cuss on these, but all the shit that was going on at that time because it was covid and it was Park had been closed for all this time and everyone was freaking out because the election was going on and all these different things were happening and it was all gone. It was just me and the trail and some corn lilies and some cooler than average temperatures and that... That, I think, was one of the most magical things about it, because, you know, Yosemite's reputation is this really crowded place that's got a billion people. And to have found that so easily and so readily and to have tapped into it was probably something that I wasn't quite expecting would happen.
2: Yeah, I love those moments. And uh, as you said, it's a timeless sort of experience, because you could have been, you know, transported, you know, one to 10 centuries ago, and that experience... have been almost the same you know just the the flowers the fauna the views the the smell of the air you know all of that and uh, I think that's a really magical experience and something that everyone should have a chance to enjoy I I think too you know everyone
0: sort of just imagine Yosemite and all they think about is the valley and you know the valley is big and it's a big part of it but that is a vast park there is so much more of that park Then it's just the valley, you know, and most people go to the valley. I mean, there's those horrible statistics that you see and I don't know how true they are about Mm -hmm. the Grand Canyon and Tunnel View where like the average stay in Yosemite is like 40 minutes and like it's something like that for the Grand Canyon too. It's like people come, you know, they take out their selfie stick and then they leave and I don't know that that's true. I kind of don't. Necessarily, I saw that. I don't know where I, you know, I wanted to see more of a, a cited source for that information, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, the idea that the valley and the valley does have it gets too crowded, it gets traffic jams, it gets mm-hmm. whatever. So you, you know that is true. But man, I mean, the north of that park, you go north of 120, and it's like, you know, I the couple trips I've done up there, even like I've done, a, I went to like young 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 lakes, you know, out oh of, that's a gorgeous place, beautiful place, pretty easy hike, nice overnighter. I mean, we maybe saw four people, and this was midsummer on a weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's not that's you know easy hiking. That's not even that hard of a thing. That's not even like two three days in in the north, which you can easily do, you know. So yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, people people definitely you know their their idea of what Yosemite is 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 very, I think incorrect. A lot of people, at least, it's somewhat incorrect, you know. And it's funny, people always ask me to go and, and where to go. I always tell them go you know go up to. Tenaya Lake up to Tuolumne Meadows you know get out of the valley most of them don't do it so it's like <laughs> I always ask them, did you go They're like oh no we just stay in the yeah. valley it's like all right I mean the valley's nice it's not like it's not pretty but you know yeah um you know there's, but there's you know
3: high, even yeah. even with the valley you know that's it's obviously if you show up at the valley at 12 o'clock on July 4th you're gonna have it's not going to be a wilderness experience. In fact, I don't even know if it's going to be much of an experience at all. So that that's where that reputation comes from. Sure. Now, I've had some wonderful experiences in the valley too. So just a couple of examples. One time in January, I got there and it was the evening. Light was getting low. It was really cold. It had snowed recently. And I'm walking down the Valley Loop Trail, which is you know only like a couple hundred yards away from one of the roads and i'm walking along walking along and i look through a gap in the trees and there's a bald eagle perched on a cedar tree kind of watching the merced river for trout that happened in the valley and then there was another time where i was walking through the valley in early november and i came upon a patch of dogwoods and they were all this brilliant crimson and so there's a great fall color there and then another time too was april i got there really early before anybody showed up piece of cake, getting a parking spot. I hiked maybe an hour in the dark and I got to um, Columbia Rock, watched the sun come up over Half Dome. So you can have a great experience in the valley, too. You just have to be really thoughtful on how you time it.
2: That's a great point. And I, you know, I've been there in February, for example. And if you get up early in the morning, you have relative solitude, you know, regardless of where you are in the valley. Because most of the people who are, you know, the, the quote unquote tourists that are there aren't, you know, they're going out to brunch or something first, you know, or get, having their breakfast and, and then they don't even hit the, get out, you know, to explore until the sun warms up the valley a little bit, but uh, start early. And, and that's a great way to have some solitude. The other thing that, and you kind of alluded to this is different seasons. It doesn't have to be during the summer. And, and I was kind of wondering if you could expound a little bit about like your experience of the the park and and does your book talk about the experience and how it changes with the seasons
3: yeah I, I absolutely cover a lot of the different seasons um and just the different factors that come up so i mean for one you know in an average year when we get decent snowfall a lot of the park isn't accessible so obviously i cover what's available and what's not available during the winter time. Um, mm-hmm. It also turns out that a lot of people don't visit during the winter time, um, so places like Yosemite Valley, you can sort of have them all to yourself. And you know, I, I do kind of cover that because it—I it, mean—it does make sense to try to spread out the visitation a little bit. And there's still a lot of great stuff to do and see during the winter. Um, so I talk about some of the other winter activities that are available. I also talk about fall color because on both sides of the Sierra Crest, there's really great opportunities for fall color yosemite valley's got a lot of great stuff um i cover a bunch of places on the east side and levining canyon parker lake uh virginia lakes that all are known for aspen groves and so like i talk about that element of it and then of course in spring the waterfalls are in full force so i talk about that as well um you know it's it's like you you can go to the and i experienced this because i went to tunnel view just about every time i went into the valley and i saw it in like you know like at least 15 different iterations because i went by it so many times so you can go to the same spot in yosemite over and over again and if you pick a different month each year it's going to be a totally different experience and so i I do try to portray that in the book and i i do talk about what hike is best during what season um you know to try to cover that and allude to where the fall color is and things like that
1: so you mentioned earlier that uh, Sequoia sort of was your, your love child and you had a place in your heart for it. Now that you've spent so much time in Yosemite, how do you feel about your two children?
3: Um, I'm not the sort of parent who says that I love my children equally. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I, I only have one child, so I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> he actually wanted to come in. He was like knocking at the door. He was trying to come in and figure Aww, out what the heck cute. I was doing in here um but um i still love sequoia more <laughs> that's but that's an that's an emotional attachment issue that's not like a yeah. apples to oranges <laughs> type of thing um i think you know it's like a funny thing a lot of times people will get into comparisons with like which one's the best and um i forget who it was that said it but there's that quote that says comparison is thief of joy and so for me it's more a matter of i've i've spent most of my adult life going to sequoia and i've had so many formative hiking experiences there that it was really hard for me to like say like i love yosemite more but the thing is like my appreciation for yosemite really deepened it is true they are vastly different experiences and the it's easy to look at them and say well it's mountains and trees and rivers and waterfalls how different can it be but just the back country experience in sequoia is dramatically different from the back country experience in yosemite and the same with the front country so for me it's they're they're too different to really compare, but I still love Sequoia more just because of the emotional attachment.
0: Yeah. It's funny, I'm Yosemite so many more the opposite way because I've been going since I was a baby. You know, we had family mm-hmm. trips. Like, you know, we were in Northern California and most of my extended family was down here. So from the time – have I mean, I posted it on my Instagram, I maybe throw it in the show notes, picture of me and my sister when I'm maybe four or five and she's, you know playing in the Merced River when we were kids. I mean, that's, you know, that's how long I've been going there. Um, And it was funny, earlier I sort of talked about the valley and the problems, but, you know, the funny thing is, every time I go through Tunnel View, I don't even know how many times, 50 plus, way more than that probably, it always takes my breath away. I mean, it is an amazing jaw-droppingly beautiful place, you know. Um one thing I always recommend and, and this is going to leading into a question, I always tell people the minute you get to the valley park your car and don't get back in it. Now, COVID might have changed it a little bit, but they did have the, the amazing public transportation system around the valley and I just always yeah. thought that was a much better way to get around. You didn't, you know, you weren't fighting through traffic, you could kind of just look around. You know, take it in a little bit at least when you're doing that, as opposed to if you're driving, which can be frustrating, especially if you live in a city. Um, what other tips would you have for people for, for visiting Yosemite?
3: Well, um, I've already covered the seasonality of it, which means that there are different times for different qualities of experience. And then also, certain places are going to be less crowded if you pick certain times, like the valley is less crowded during the winter time, Tuolumne Meadows is less crowded in October. Um, hedge. he's rarely ever crowded. Um, the other tip I would, I would say to piggyback off of what you just said, Jason, which is that if you get there, when you get there, if you find a parking spot, let's be optimistic when yeah. you find a parking spot, <laughs> yeah. um, the COVID pandemic definitely impacted the the shuttle system and I'm not sure where they are with that, but there are a lot of interconnected trails that can get you to different trailheads. So one of my favorite strategies was to park either at the Upper Yosemite Falls Trailhead, which is a fairly large parking area. And sometimes I would get lucky at the Cooks Meadow parking area. And sometimes even if you get there early enough, you can get parking at the Miss Trail, um, John Muir Trailhead parking area. And so once I would park, even though it would mean a lot of extra walking during the day. If I parked at like Cook's Meadow, it's not that far to get to the four-mile trail. Or if I parked at Upper Yosemite Falls, it it was really not that much further to get to Mirror Lake. Um, Or at the Mist Trail wasn't that much further to go to, you know, do the Valley Loop Trail, which, you know, the Valley Loop Trail does go right by that. So it does mean extra walking, but their trail network is set up that you can basically walk to anything you want to get to. So once you get the parking spot, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like finding a parking spot in Santa Monica. Once you get that parking spot, you don't want to get it up. You want to try to hang on to it as long as possible. So yeah, walking along as much as possible is okay, especially if the shuttles aren't running. The other thing I would recommend, too, is provided the shuttles are running, and let's assume that at some point they are running consistently, is that you can do the YARTS, the Yosemite Area Rapid Transit system that can bus you in from any of the bigger cities, uh, Mammoth, Merced, uh, Modesto, all those different towns that are on the outskirts can bus you in so you don't even have to drive in the park. Um, there's some great interpark park options. Um, some of them are run by the park. Some of them are run by Aramark, which is the subsidiary that does all the additional stuff for the park. And so, for example, there's a shuttle that'll take you up to Glacier Point and once you get to Glacier Point, you can hike back down so you don't have to go up and down a four-mile trail or the panorama trail. They also have one that'll take you from the valley up to to wallaby to Meadows and some of the trailheads like the Clouds Rest, Sunrise Lakes Trailhead, Tanai Lake, um, Cathedral Lakes, etc. So you can do these really fun one-way trips from the higher elevations to the lower elevations. So the mass transit options there are really great because they do open up all these really interesting experiences. And sometimes I will allude to those in the book so that you get an idea of what's possible.
0: One of my favorite day hikes I ever did, actually, was taking the, the shuttle from the valley up to uh, Glacier Point and doing the Panorama Trail down, down, you know, then down the Mistral. That's yeah, one that's of my a, favorite days really of hiking. Pretty. And it's, it's a long down. <laughs> it's mostly, there's a little up, but it's almost all down. So, you know, it's a long hike mileage-wise, but it's not as, you know... Not as uh, uh, strenuous as some of the other ones.
3: <laughs> it's it's a bit of a knee bang.
0: It is. It is.
3: <laughs> yeah, but you know, actually, that's a that the glacier that Glacier Point thing you're talking about. That <clears throat> I don't know if I'm giving away another secret by saying this, but when I did Half Dome, I did not come up from Happy Isles because I had already done uh, the Mist Trail all the way up to Yosemite Valley, Little Yosemite Valley, like the year before. And I just was thinking like, you know, I'm not, I'm feeling kind of lazy. I don't know if I really want to do all that uphill again. So when I got my permit, I got an overnight permit coming out of Glacier Point. And when you do an overnight permit, if you're passing by Half Dome, you can also apply to get the additional Half Dome permit. So I actually got a walk-up permit for Glacier Point because I just figured, what the heck, I'm here, I might as well try it. I got the walk-up permit. I hiked to Little Yosemite Valley, set up my camp, and then I had the optional Half Dome permit, And I didn't have to go through the water. I didn't have to do any wrangling or any crazy stuff with it. It was actually like a really nice way to do it.
2: The, the first time that I hiked uh, Half Dome, I went that route, that same route. And that was before the permit system was in place, but um, started at Glacier Point, you know, took the shuttle up there. And then hiked down to Little Yosemite Valley, set up my tents and all of that. And then the next day, actually hiked, you know, started early and, and hiked Half Dome. And it makes it a lot more manageable and a lot less crowded, too.
3: Yeah, and it's a pretty route. Like um, like you were saying, the the route from Glacier Point all the way over to the top of Nevada Falls has some really beautiful scenery. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a nice alternate for, for Half Dome for anyone who's considering it.
1: I just would like to point out, Scott. We were joking at the beginning. We're like, "Well, we've interviewed him before, so it probably won't take a full hour." Because, like, you know, it, this has been so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Yeah. And here we are. Like, oh my God, there's so much to talk about. I love it.
2: I
3: know. No, I could. I could obviously keep going talking about Yosemite because, like, I had. I had a lot of. Um, a lot of great experiences. Do do you mind if I just share like the really embarrassing story? Because I feel like it's always helpful oh, that's really great. Like, yeah. You know, to laugh at yourself. We, we at love point.
2: we love it when yeah. you show you know, yeah, lift up your skirt and yeah, let us see the embarrassing <laughs> bits. So go ahead. So I'll
3: just I'll just tell like one last story. and We can kind of leave it here so everyone can have a good laugh at me. So um, it was February. Uh, it was actually Valentine's Day, 2019, and I was super pumped because I knew we had a big storm coming and it was a, one of those atmospheric rivers that merged with the cold front that was gonna dump a ton of snow. And I thought like, wow, like we could get a couple of feet in Yosemite Valley and that would be pretty amazing. Um, Cause I was also hunting for that really cool snowy tunnel view shot. So, you know, I'm doing my usual thing, which is getting up at three o'clock in the morning on like a Friday, driving up and I get in the car, you know was staying at a lodge so i didn't have to pack all the usual stuff and it'd been kind of like a stressful thursday with a lot of work stuff and so i got in the car drove up there got into the lodge was too excited to even unpack or put any of my things in there so i just checked in got right back into the car got the chains on the car got into the valley it's beautiful it's snowy um i should mention that when i woke up i like when i wake up i'm not changing into my hiking I'm just in my pajamas because it's easiest and it's more comfortable to drive for eight hours in your Um, So I get there, got a great parking spot, got my chains on, I'm driving into the valley, winter wonder, absolutely beautiful. And I get out and I'm ready to go do the valley loop so I can get some great winter shots. And I look in the back of the car for my clothes and I didn't bring them. Yeah. so i was i was in yosemite valley in the middle of a two-foot snowstorm and the only clothes i had on were my pajamas and a pair of rainbow colored socks (laughs) oh my gosh so i I got that i hope there's some selfies i hope there's some selfies that we
0: can share with our audience on the in the show notes on that
3: I'll have, I'll have to look. I, I think the only thing I used I used my phone to try to figure out where I could find actual hiking clothes because I knew the conditions were going to be pretty good. And I was going to try to hike, do the winter route out to Dewey Point um, and the winter route up to Nevada Falls. So I thought like, you know, this is going to be brilliant. And I was like, I didn't want to give up on it. So I spent, there's like a, a zone in the Valley where you can get pretty decent cell reception right around Cook's Meadow. And I think I spent like a good three hours trying to call around finding if there's an actual sporting goods store within a reasonable distance from Yosemite Valley. It turns out there are no sporting goods stores within reasonable distance from Yosemite Valley. And the one outfitter that they had in the valley was crushed by a fallen tree. That the, so, curry village,
0: the curry village one. it was just yeah. kind of like okay okay
3: yeah there was the one over by curry village yeah. a tree fell on it i was just gonna say you probably could have gone there but again snow so i was... know
0: it's open year round but i didn't know if that you know sometimes it's like reduced hours or sometimes yeah like you said there's a rock slide or the road or is closed tree, and you yeah, tree, tree fell and crushed it. Reduced it. Hours yeah. yeah well i'm yeah. surprised like hey there's a business opportunity for someone to open up a a sporting goods store in merced you know or uh (laughs) or oakhurst at least you know you're yeah you know
3: i was really surprised there wasn't a big five or something like that
2: in oakhurst yeah that's a good size but there was so
3: much there was so much snow on the 41 that i wouldn't have been able to get there okay
2: yeah so so scott this has been really fun i really enjoy talking about yosemite the book sounds like it's awesome and uh maybe uh, when is it coming out? And if somebody is interested in buying it or pre-ordering it, is it available to pre-order any of that? Can you, what can you share?
3: Yeah. So it comes out on October 1st. And if you want to fund another space flight for Jeff, Bezos, you can order it on Amazon. Um, it's also available through the Mountaineers books website. So if you don't want to fund any more space trips, you can go to the Mountaineers, um, Mountaineers books, not Mountaineers.org. They're two separate entities. Uh, But the Mountaineer's Books website, if you search Day Hiking Yosemite National Park, that's available there. And then um, I imagine that it's probably going to be available at local retailers. Like all the other books I've written are available at regional, like the local REIs. And hopefully we'll be able to do some in-person events when the time comes around, Uh, maybe some virtual events. When I do those, I usually sell them directly to people, which is Fun because I'll ship it to you and I'll personalize it and sign it and you know say something goofy if you want me to.
0: Great. Well, we'll put the awesome. link to the mountaineers in the show notes, but not not Jeff Bezos's uh, rocket. <laughs> <laughs> no penis rocket. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Scott. This has been amazing. Again, we went way longer than we sort of thought. So, but it's been been so exciting. That's that's Yosemite, right? The power of Yosemite. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and it's it's also like I gotta say, it's been really enjoyable talking with you guys too. I think some of it's just it's just nice when a bunch of seasoned hikers get together and shoot the shit. So that really glad you guys had me back on. I'm really grateful. That's
2: that's the whole reason this podcast exists, is just for us to get together (laughs) and shoot the the shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, What are we talking about? (laughs) That's a perfect
1: reason to have one.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at adventure us women. That's adventure. U S women, Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the Muir project. Our title track almost there is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, podcast.com. On the next episode, we have Jess Newton from Vibe Tribe as our guest. As always, thanks for listening.